0: Why can't we? Why can't we be friends? We can't be friends with some people because we can't get along with them. We, we, can't, we can't stay married to some people because we can't get along with them. We wish that God would not have given us some of the kids He gave us because we can't get along with them. <laughs> we wish that God would have given us different parents because we can't get along with them. And if you're anything like me, you, you wish that God would have given you different siblings, maybe, because you can't get along with them. I have a younger brother, Jason, who at this moment is preaching to his church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's a good, good guy, good man, and annoys the mess out of me. Um, he's younger, so that takes care of part of the reason why he does that. But I called my mom several years ago, and I said, okay, listen, this is your moment to be honest with me. You've been, you've been lying to me my whole life, I understand. I need you to tell me that Jason's adopted, right? Because there is no way, I had just gotten off the phone with him, and I said, there is no way that the two of us came from the same two parents. But she said, no, no, it's, you were adopted. No, I'm just kidding, she didn't say that. Uh, you know, we, we we're concluding this series today out of Ephesians chapter 2, and we've been looking at this 2020 series. It's, it's the idea that with a proper perspective, and in this case, Christ's perspective, we can really see things in the way that we're supposed to see them. Outside of that perspective, we see things with a little bit of a skewed vision, a skewed understanding of that. So the first week, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we opened up Ephesians chapter 2. And we talked about our past and we talked about the idea that some of us are just locked in on our past. It defines us. We can't get past our past. And, and we looked at that. but We said, you know, our perspective needs to change. Instead of looking at that according to the way that Paul laid out this passage of scripture, we really need to focus on Christ. We need to look at him because he covered our past. Some of what we just sang about kind of relates to that. The second week, last week, Pastor Mark was here and he looked at the idea of our potential, 2020 potential. And we look at our future and we look out there and we're trying to figure out what is it that we're going to do and be. And maybe we're in the midst of that and we're trying to figure out how this all fits together for what God may be doing in and through us. And we look at that and he just kind of pointed us back to the Father. And he said, let's look at God the Father. And and, and God works toward us by his grace. He works... In us and he works through us to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. And outside of that, we really have no eternal potential. We have some earthly potential, but God wants to do something for his kingdom for the long, the long run here and through eternity. And so we looked at that. So today we're going to conclude Ephesians chapter two by looking at 2020 peace. So we're going to jump right into the text. If you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter two. And uh, it's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, uh, but you need your Bible because it may be misspelled on the screen. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, and this is what it says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, or some translations may just say the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands, verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Stop right there. There's a ton right there. But what you have to understand is that we are now introduced, if we hadn't already been, which it's alluded to several times and even spelled out a little bit, but we're if you just opened your Bible and flipped here, you now have been introduced to the two main groups of people that are making up the New Testament church. All right? You have the Jews and the Gentiles. All right? And so he begins by talking in the very first verse, the verse 11, that says, Therefore, remember that you formerly who are Gentiles by birth. And so he's talking about that. And the Gentiles now are these people that are non-Jews. And so he's writing to this group in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, to this church that he helped form. You can read about that in the book of Acts. And so then he left, and he left the leadership of the church there. And he's writing to them now to help bring clarity to some issues. And so he's saying, okay, there's two groups of people here, and y'all can't get along. And here's why you can't get along. If you're a Gentile, there is a group of people that are, that are talking about you and your lack of being a Jew. And so what he's saying here is, listen, you're being called the uncircumcised Right By these people who call themselves the circumcised. This references back to Genesis chapter 11 when there was a covenant made with God and Abraham about the establishment of a people which was the Jews, which was the children of Israel. And so all that relates back to that time. And so he says, you're you're, you're uncircumcised, you're separate from Christ, you're excluded from citizenship in Israel, you're foreigners to the covenant, you're without hope and you're without God. I wouldn't want to be a part of that group. It doesn't sound very pleasant. But by referencing this group of people, he also references a second group of people, which are the Jews. Now, he references them in the the first part where he says, you know, the Gentiles are being called uncircumcised. Well, who's calling them names? The circumcised. This is the Jews. These are the people that are a part of the covenant relationship of God. So he says, "You're, you're circumcised, you're citizens of Israel, and you're a part of the covenant, which would then imply that you have a hope and you have a God. So you have these two groups of people that are like diametrically opposed in every way. I love what the New Living Translation says. This is going to be on the screen, too. This is just the first verse. In the New Living, it says this. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens, that's even stronger, by the Jews who were, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So here's what he's saying. In essence, he's not even addressing the Gentiles here because this, this letter would have been kind of read aloud in the church to the Jews and the Gentiles. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, listen, Gentiles, you're, you're, you know, you've kind of been called some names. And I'm sure that's been unpleasant for you, but don't worry about it. The group of people that's calling you that, they're a bunch of idiots, right? Because he's saying, here's what they're saying. They're claiming some like, I'm a part of this like group of, of chosen people, which is great. And that's great. But what they're kind of stating their claim on has nothing to do with their heart has nothing to do with their heart. It's not a part of changing their identity. It's just this physical act here, a part of the covenant relationship with God. And so he's saying to them, don't don't feel like that even though they're trying to make you seem like you're less important or or less included, don't don't think that that's a a definable, identifiable piece here. That's old covenant. That's something separate, right? So now he's pointing them back to Christ. So let's look here at the idea that Paul is very quickly identifying the two groups and showing that they can't get along, but that both of them are in the same boat. That the Gentiles are without hope, without God, separate from the Jews, separate from the covenant relationship of Israel with God. But the Jews, they may have some rights into that covenant, but their hearts are far from God, some of them. And so he's saying in this church, in this group, you have two groups of people that can't get along, but really you're the same people. You're the same group of people, and we know that because he continues in verse 13. This is what he says. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We just sang about this. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, out of the two, thus making peace. So verse 13, very similar to what we read and what we talked about two weeks ago when we looked at our past, kind of sets the stage by saying, hey, here's here's the problem. There is a problem. There's two groups of people and they can't get along and they don't like one another. They're trying to figure out how to coexist in a church. Okay? And... We probably have something similar here. I don't know that there's two groups of people, right? But we have this newly forming community congregation church. And imagine, if you would, that we were immediately split into two camps, all right? This would not probably cause you to, like, take up knives and stab one another. But let's just say, if you were born in the state of Georgia, raise your hand, okay? If you were not born in the state of Georgia, raise your hand. All right, let's imagine that that was the dividing line, okay? Okay? And if you were born in the state of Georgia, you are not a part of the covenant. You have no hope, no future, no God. You smell bad. I mean, whatever it is, there's something wrong with you. But us non-Georgia folks, we've got it all together. So we're looking at you like, I don't even want to be friends with you. Like, go to church with you, whatever. I don't like you. So there's this division here, right? And obviously, we're not talking about Georgia and non-Georgia, right? But we are talking about the, because we all know that North Carolina is God's country. Can I get an amen from anybody? No? Just me? All right, that's fine. That's fine. I'll stand by myself on that. All right, so we do understand here that it's not about this division that we have created by some set of rules and some set of circumstances. What's it about? It's about Christ. So what does the scripture say here? What does he say? In verse 13, he, he points our attention back to Christ and he says, he is our peace. He destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall. He created in himself one new humanity and thus making peace. It's not about the Jews. It's not about the Gentiles. It's not about the things that we don't agree on, the things that we can't get in common. It's about Jesus Christ, which is is something that we have to understand. Because I'm sure there are people that you don't get along with. Or maybe you get along with everybody, but a lot of people don't get along with you. I don't know what the common denominator is there, but there's a problem. And sometimes we've got to figure out how do we transition that? How do we point that towards something else? Let's continue reading in verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to to you uh, to those who were near. Stop right there. Preaching peace to those who were far away is preaching peace to the Gentiles. They were far away. Remember, they're without hope, without God. And he also came to preach peace to those that were near. This is the Jews. They're a part of the covenant relationship. So preaching peace to both of these groups. Verse 18. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too, all you too. all right, everybody here are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right, so what are we talking about? We're talking about, we started with a problem that there were two groups of people. They couldn't get along. And Paul quickly refocuses the conversation off of those two groups of people and onto Jesus Christ. And he says, it's not about you. It's not about what you don't have in common, and it's not about what you don't get along on, and it's not about what you don't like in the other person. It's about Him and the work He did to be able to bring you together. There is something else at work here that has nothing to do with the two groups of people except that God has chosen to work through them and unite them together. All of us have access to the Father. The Jews, the Gentiles, the Georgia folks, the non-Georgia folks, every single one of us has access to the Father, not because of anything we've done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that allows us to know the Heavenly Father. And so if you looked at this passage of Scripture here, if you just kind of work through it, I, I don't always like to do this because I feel like it's almost cliche, but I got three things that I think this tells us. Three points here, right? Three big deals, three big ideas, three kind of life-transforming truths about this passage. And here's the first one. The first one is that his work on the cross broke down differences. Okay? You got two groups of people. There's something there in between them, something that's not gelling together, something that's not allowing them to coexist in some way because they got this dividing wall. If you have any history, uh, knowledge about you, understand that in the city of Berlin, there was a wall. Right? In my office, there's a, a couple of pieces of rock where I, I went there in 1990, and, and I wasn't supposed to, but I climbed under a little fence and got some rocks, and I don't think I don't think I want to record that, just delete that part. But anyway, I climbed under this fence and got some rocks, and some of it has the graffiti on it that some of the, the, the East Germans there had, had, had scribbled on that side of the wall, and, and, and the wall had come down and, and just, just recently, and so we were allowed to cross back and forth freely, and so were the German people. But there was a problem here, that that the German people that had lived on east the east side of Berlin and in East Germany, and the people that lived on the west side, even once the wall came down, there wasn't much intermixing happening because there was like there, there was it was so entrenched in them that they they lived on this side. They only kind of related to and worked with and spent time with these people. But look at verse 14 in our passage of Scripture to see the truth that the work of Christ breaks down differences. very similar to what we saw in history there in Berlin. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There was this dividing wall. And it really didn't have anything to do with the Germans. It had to do with these outside groups that were coming in and kind of enforcing a territory line. So that their their mandates and their laws and their kind of how we're going to live and, and govern it, they're going to split that space. So the wall comes down. And there was some, I mean, there was rejoicing. and you, you, Some of you watched this on the news. Some of you weren't even born yet. I, I don't know. But like you, you saw this, that there was like clapping and screaming and yelling. But then like the next day, some people crossed over. But some people just went back home and started going back to work and never jumped over on the other side. Because the work of God does do The breaking down of the wall. But if that was all there is. Sometimes we'd still be left kind of wondering where the next step is. So the second thing is this. His work on the cross united them. Like you can tear down a wall. But unless somebody crosses over to the other side. There's still a wall there. Like whether it's a physical wall or not. And in your relationships maybe it's not such a physical wall. But there is something dividing you. And even though God, through Jesus Christ, tears down that wall, breaks it down to do that work, some of you never make the move. You never cross the line. You never have the conversation. You never get into the other issues. But look at what it says here in verse 15, the second half of verse 15 through 18. It says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which He put to death our hostility, their hostility. He came and, pe- and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So here's what he's saying, okay? This is what Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus, and I am saying to you today. The work of the cross, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, will break down any dividing line, division-causing issue in any relationship that you have. And that work, when applied correctly in your life, can also unite whatever has been divided. I I don't know about your relationships, and we're going to get into that in a second. But if you've got a relationship that as we've started talking, maybe it's come to your mind here, and you're thinking about that, there's some dividing line there. I don't know what it is. It's a hurt, a past issue, something. Just keep in mind that the work of Christ on the cross is enough to tear down that wall. And it's also enough to unite us. But what are we uniting around? We're uniting around Christ on the cross, giving us access to the Father, creating in us one people for one purpose. And that's the third thing, is that His work on the cross gave them greater purpose. The Jews had a purpose. They kind of understood that there was something ingrained in them that was for the future. You know, Father Abraham back there had been promised that there was a nation being established. There was a people being established. There were descendants as, as far as, as greater number than there are stars in the sky. And so we understand that they knew that there was an establishment of some people, some nation, some group for, for the betterment of the world that God was somehow going to rule and reign on that kingdom or through that kingdom in some way. And so they, they've seen that through their history, what they thought was going to happen and what didn't happen. And then Jesus came. And so the Jews are locked into the idea that there is a purpose of some kind. Most of the Gentiles did not have this idea of purpose until they accepted Christ. And when they accepted Christ, which you have to understand, like this is such a new idea that they even have access to the gospel it's not really till the book of Acts that, the, that the, the movement of Christianity, the gospel message even gets outside of the group that is the Jews. And so these people that are still very new to this message understand that now we, with, with the, the wall broken down and us united together, have a purpose that we can join around. And what is that purpose according to verse 22? It's that in him... You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, all of them probably, but especially again, the Jews would understand the ideal of a dwelling place. They would know that in the, in the Old Testament there was the, the tent and the tabernacle of meeting. They would understand that there was the tabernacle where they would come and meet with God. It was his presence. They would understand the idea and the history of the Ark of the Covenant, which was this, this literal box that God had said, here's how you build it and here's what you put in it. And it is my presence and I'll dwell there and you take it with you and it's me with you. But Jesus coming to earth says, I'm going to flip that on its lid and I'm going to say to you that I'm going to dwell in you. Jew, Gentile, born in Georgia, not born in Georgia, right? With a job, without a job, male, female, man, woman, boy, girl. There is no dividing line anymore. We're all united for one purpose. And that is to be the dwelling place and the carriers of the presence and power of God to the world. To the world, all of us. And here's this statement that I want you to leave with today. That no matter what relationship exists in your life that has strife and turmoil and pain and hurt, no matter what's going on in your life, there is a simple truth that this passage and hundreds of others in this book tell us. And it's this simple truth that peace is possible At the cross. Peace is possible at the cross. No matter what you're facing, no matter how long the the turmoil and strife and pain and angst has been there, peace is possible at the cross. Think about your life, think about your relationships. I just wrote a few down, I'm sure I didn't catch everything, but maybe you have now or have had a dating relationship that created some opposite of peace, emotion, and feeling and situation in your life. Maybe your present or former marriage lacked peace. Maybe your parent-child relationship, whether you be the parent in that relationship or the child, lacks peace. Maybe it's a friendship, or it used to be maybe it's a relationship with coworkers or bosses or or people that serve alongside you or or even report to you maybe it's the relationships in the place that you live in your neighborhood the homes where you live in in the space there that that you have maybe it's other business relationships some something that you put you know your your life towards uh, you know, five or seven days a week. It's it's in those relationships, the people that you interact with, they may not be a coworker, Maybe they're a vendor that you utilize or maybe they're a client or a customer, but there is now or has been some lack of peace there for some reason. I don't know the circumstance, but let me just say to you with absolute confidence that peace is possible at the cross. No matter what it is. No matter where it's been, no matter what the history is or how long or how many years that it happened this morning. (laughs) Anybody fight in the the car on the way to church? Yeah? All right? No? No, All liars? All right, that's fine. Um, No matter what is happening in your life, no matter where peace does not exist, peace is possible at the cross. There's a lady at our Marietta campus. Her name is Lisa. And uh, we're going to show you a video, just a real short video of, of her story. She, w- when we were talking through this message, we, we were talking about her story a little bit. And we just wanted to grab it on video and, and, and let you hear a part of that story. Maybe you'll relate to some of it, but even beyond that, we're going to come back and kind of maybe tie some strings together. So just just look at this.
1: When I was in high school, um, my parents got a divorce. And some of the circumstances surrounding the divorce divorce caused a lot of hurt and pain especially um, in my relationship with my father and um, so I went kind of on about my life for a lot of years kind of ignoring that relationship and not dealing with it. Uh, Some of the woundedness from that time um, manifested in relationships in my life that were not healthy. I wasn't living a um, Certainly not a holy life, but even a healthy life by even secular standards. There was a moment in my life when I was actually watching something on TV. And all of a sudden I saw myself and my life in in its full truth, which I hadn't looked at before. And it was too much. I realized the darkness I was capable of and how unhealthy my life was. And really, the depth of my sin. And it was too much. And that led me to the darkest moment in my life where I literally felt at that moment, I can remember it like it was yesterday, that I didn't have any choice but to either take my own life because it was too dark and too heavy and too much or that I would go crazy. And thankfully, God did not leave me there very long at all. I think I just i needed to see it that that deeply because within moments after that crushing in, I felt his grace sweep in. I felt free. I felt lighter. I felt like they were. I felt hope. I felt hope. I was hopeless in one moment and then the next moment I had hope. So uh, shortly after I received God's forgiveness and it was so complete came kind of a, an epiphany that if God could forgive me and the sin and the darkness and the pain that I had caused others how could I not forgive my father? It was the freedom that I felt in God's love that motivated me to extend that love, to extend that forgiveness in the same way it was given to me. And it just it just made sense. How could I not forgive him? I always knew my father loved me, and that was the hard thing. So it was really painful when I felt the anger and the pain, and I didn't know what to do with that. I knew he loved me, and I loved him, but I was just hurt. But all that went away. And, and um, we have a wonderful relationship. We have since really that moment. And uh, he's very involved in my life. And I'm very involved in his life. And he loves me unconditionally. Um, and I love him. And uh, it just grows stronger.
0: I want you to think about your life. I said that a minute ago. But I mean, our lives are centered around relationships. What relationships exist in your life or maybe better put, what relationships used to exist in your life that don't anymore because there was something that happened that built this wall that now divides you. Maybe you still have a relationship with that person, but there's just, we're we're not combined and united for a greater purpose. We just coexist, and we're just praying to God that nobody says the one thing that will blow the whole thing up. And you're just just praying and asking God that they don't say the one word, the one phrase. They don't look at you funny because that's it. Because there's no peace there. I've been working through this list for a couple days now. And and I I talked to my life group last night. We were were meeting uh, last night. And we were just kind of talking through this list. And here's a few things that we said kind of fight against peace. They either create a lack of peace, they fight against peace, or, 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 or something else. And so, but you'll understand, I think, when we kind of get into it. One of them is perception. You just perceive something about someone, or they perceive something about you. Maybe you've heard the idea that perception is reality. So in their mind, it is reality. Or maybe in yours, it's reality. And so you have this perception about them. You have this thing that you think about them because of something that happened. And you heard a little bit of something, you saw a little bit of something, you think you know something. And so it creates this perception for you. And so there can be no peace there because of what happened, what, did, what, what was said, what was done. And so it fights against peace in that relationship. Another one is, is a misunderstanding. Maybe they don't understand fully you and your circumstances and your life and the details of your life. Or maybe you don't understand all of theirs. But whatever you do understand gives you a clear enough picture that you know there's something wrong. It should have been handled differently, it should have been done differently, and so now we're fighting about it, or we're just ignoring it, but we have no peace in this relationship. Another one is bias. Some type of bias. Sexism, racism, there's something that exists there. You see an attitude, or someone sees it in you, that you, are, you have something against them, but they can't control it. It's just a part of who they are, but because you have this deeply ingrained in you, or they have it deeply ingrained in them, it just creates a lack of peace there. Hurt. You heard it in Lisa's video, but maybe it's, maybe it's real hurt. Just like she described, or maybe it's imagined hurt. <laughs> you, you thought they hurt you. You can't even remember what they hurt you for or about or what it was. You just know you're mad at them. And, and if you were really pressed on it, like, why are you mad at them? I don't remember, but I've been mad at them for a long time. So I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be right. And so real or imagined hurt and pain. And I'm not trying to make fun because there are some legitimate, deep-rooted hurts that create this lack of peace. One that just covers a lot of areas of our life is lack of communication. It just kind of it fits all of these or stands alone by itself, but there is something there and we're just not talking about it. And it's just under the surface and no one broaches the subject and we never deal with the issue. And there's just a lack of communication. And it fights against our ability to have peace. But guess what's true about this that is also true about the Jews and the Gentiles? That peace is possible at the cross. Peace is possible at the cross. If you have hurt, you have misunderstandings, there's a perception issue, a bias issue, there is a lack of communication or something else altogether, all of that can be healed Reconciled, restored through Jesus Christ and the cross. But you say, "No, no, no! You don't. You don't know my situation. You're making it too simple. You're making it sound so easy. There is years of hurt and pain here." Yes, but the cross came before that. You say, "No, no, no!" You, but you don't know him. <laughs> he is stubborn. He doesn't listen. She thinks she's always right. You're right, I don't. I, I know Jesus. I know the cross. Please understand me. I'm not trying to like sweep your hurt, your pain, the lack of peace in your relationship away. I'm just trying to refocus us on the answer. No matter what your relationship has wrong about it, the cross is enough your marriage there's a lack of peace there for some reason get it to the cross your kids and their rebellion the lack of communication that exists there take it to the cross your your job your home your finances your relationships in some other area of life, your lack of relationships for some reason, get them to the cross. The cross makes peace possible. And that is an unbelievable idea. I'm going to ask the band to come. That's a crazy thought because think about the cross. Think about what it is. We just read a little bit of it to understand that the cross is like this gruesome, violent, bloody moment in history. It is one of the most violent ways that you could be killed in ancient culture. Bloody. Jesus abandoned. Hanging between heaven and earth and crying out to his father and being mocked by those in front of him. Pouring out his literal life source of blood. And in that gruesome, violent, ugly moment. You and I can find peace. If you can transport yourself there, just place yourself somewhere at the foot of that cross and look to him and see him and see that moment and see the price that's being paid and now compare it to your relationship. Now take that and put it beside whatever hurt and pain you feel that is real or imagined and cover that relationship in the blood that was spilled at the cross. So what do we do? Like, what's our response today? Where where do we go from here, even understanding that the cross makes peace possible? Where do we go? We just go back to the book of Matthew, I believe, to find the instructions from Jesus and the blessing and admonishment of Him in, like, one of His first sermons. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, in a, in, a, in a couple of texts there about blessed are and the Beatitudes and the things that God is honoring here. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I looked it up and I've told you guys, if you've been around here very long, I am not a Greek scholar. The man that leads worship for us is, okay? So I'm not. So I just have to go read a bunch of sources. But here's the deal. Peacemaker, that's a two-part word. The first one actually literally means peace. The second one actually literally means maker. So go make peace. Blessed are those who get up and do something to facilitate peace in a relationship. Peace in the world. Peace in life. Peace in any situation that does not have peace. Blessed are those people because they will be called the children of God. So you're sitting here this morning in Sequoia High School thinking about someone that's not here. If you're thinking about somebody that's here, it's going to be a crazy car ride home, okay? One of you is just going to have to get over yourself and have the conversation. But here's the truth. Here's the reality. Blessed are you who make peace. Peace who say to you or yourselves or others or to God, I can no longer live in a place that does not reflect the peace that is possible through you. I I just can't let this relationship continue in the way that it is because it doesn't reflect you and the peace that's available to me through you on the cross. So I'm going to make peace. The word for make, which is that second part, is used 519 times in Scripture. And almost two-thirds of those times, you know what it's referring to? Some, like, mandate of God to go and do something. The word make, or to do, or to go and do, or to be about the Father's work. And what is it here? It's to go and do and be about making peace. Peace. So, you're thinking about your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or your kids or your coworker or your neighbor or someone else, and you're thinking there is no peace there. Then be a peacemaker. Reflect the glory of God in that relationship by pursuing peace there. And I used to think, when I heard the word peacemaker, I used to think like really timid and meek and mild wimps. Maybe you don't. Maybe you hear that word and you think gladiator. I didn't. I'm not like wimpy. Like, oh, blessed are the peacemakers. Woohoo! No. You ever tried to jump into a fight to break it up? No? Just me? All right, that's fine. You're saying there's something happening here and I'm going to engage in this moment to restore peace. I'm going to actively engage something that is not peaceful to bring about and restore peace. Peace requires action, it requires determination, it requires strength. Peacemakers are tough. Peacemakers are relying on something to make something happen, to change the moment. So I've got five really quick things that take like 45 seconds to say. How can I be a peacemaker? The first thing is pray about you. You thought I was going to say pray about them, but I'm not. I will in a minute. Don't pray about them. Pray about you. Say, God, fix me. Soften my heart. Do something in me. Help me to see the errors of my ways. I'm not assuming here that I am 100% correct, even though I kind of live that way sometimes, especially with them. But just change me. Help me. Heal me. Pray about you. Okay? Then just kind of flip the roles around and put yourself in their shoes and empathize their side of the story here. And, and just, if you can try to figure out, is there anything that they're doing, saying, thinking, feeling because of something you've done? You didn't mean to, you didn't mean to say, it. you didn't mean to look at them that way. You weren't trying to come across with that body language, but they saw it, they felt it, they heard it. And man, they are so hurt by that. Just put yourself there and try to, try to figure out what is it that I could have done? What are they thinking, feeling that might not be so off base? It's not as hard as long as you pray about you first. If you jump into that without praying about you, you're like, nope, I'm 100% right. They're wrong. God fix them. But if you start with you, you can, you can approach that with a humility and a sincerity and an authenticity there to say maybe, maybe it's something I did. And then after you've done that, then start praying about them. You pray about you. You kind of flip it around and you look at it from their side. And now you pray about them. And you say, God, heal them. Help them. Not change them. Not fix. Them, not help them see me and my rightness here. We've already dealt with that. God, there's no pride here. I realize except for the cross, none of this is possible. I'm on the same playing field they are. We're both guilty. God, whatever I've done, whatever's been done to them, would you heal them? Would you help them? Would you give them peace? And then there's this huge thing that happens because a lot of us are like, yeah, I'll pray about me. I'll think about it from their perspective. I'll pray about them. But then the hard part comes. Move first toward them. Move first towards them. Don't wait on them to move to you. Don't wait on them to say they're sorry. Move first. And you get in the middle of it. I'm, I'm serious, with humility. You don't come ready for a fight, you come with an apology and with the cross. You pray about you, you look at it from their perspective, you pray about them. You move first and then you let them off the hook. A peacemaker does not engage expecting an apology. A peacemaker does not engage looking for a specific response. We leave it up to the Father and we reconcile what we can. We let them off the hook. Because guess what? Peace is possible at the cross. I not you to say that with me. Peace is possible at the cross. I don't know your situation. I don't know your life. I don't know the details. But I know the cross. And I know the man that hung there. And it is not his desire... That your life lack peace. Peace is possible at the cross. We'll come back and pray in a moment. I just want you to reflect on the cross and the man who hung there. And every every head just for a moment. Just close your eyes and. If you'd say to me today, Jeremy, like there is a relationship in my life. There's some area of my life that just lacks peace. And I got to get that part to the cross. I got to get that person to the cross. I got to get me to the cross. I got to get our relationship. To the cross. There's something there that just needs the work of God on the cross. Would you just lift your hand? Tons of hands. Tons of hands. Guess what? Peace possible at the cross. God, I pray for every hand that just went up. I'm sure there's others that just didn't feel comfortable. They weren't sure. But God, right now, every situation, every relationship, every job, every home, God, I pray right now for your peace to invade those lives. You are the ultimate peacemaker. You went to the cross to restore and reconcile brokenness to peace. And so, God, right now, I pray that you would heal hurts. God, that you would just mend brokenness. That you would open up communication where it's lacking. You would open up ears and hearts to hear words that are being said. That you would rip away the need to be right. Whatever perceptions or misunderstandings or bias there is, whatever hurt there has been, whatever lack of communication, God, right now we take all those things and just lift them to you and we give you these relationships. We give you these parts of our lives and we start with us to say, God, whatever part I play in this, would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you mend me? Would you work in me? We understand that you are doing the work. But God, let us play a part. Let us be peacemakers in our world. We thank you for the cross because it is enough to bring peace. In Jesus' name we pray.